0: Greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together every week and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming, always bringing you interesting insights, information, and occasionally doses of entertainment. I'm sitting down with uh, two guys that are uh, with the Illinois Society of Professional Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers. That's right, isp and isp <laughs> which it's really not called, It was a client of mine. I spoke to them here in February, and it was... So interesting, because while I understand the industry, I thought there's probably a lot of folks that are in the business of agriculture that probably wonder what exactly does a professional farm manager or rural appraiser do? And well, I kind of know what they do. What's it look like? What's it behind the scenes day of their life kind of look like? So I decided I'm going to talk to Seth Baker and Ryan Operly. Ryan and Seth are both farm managers and appraisers. We're going to give you some insight. They've been in the business for more than 20 years, each of them, of what their day looks like, what their business look like looks like, what they see as they look at the business of agriculture moving forward. So, Ryan, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: So, Ryan, real quickly, tell me a little bit about you.
1: So, my name is Ryan Opperly. We're uh, uh, with Heartland Ag Group here in Forsyth, Illinois. We're glad to have you come to Macon County and present to us. Uh, We are in the farm management, farm real estate, and appraisal business. In the core of our business, we work for absentee landowners, people that own Central Illinois farmland as an investment. Uh, but have someone else farm it. And and we are their fiduciary and we manage land for people that own it, but don't farm it. So a
0: lot of folks are listening to this. Remember, I always try and bear in mind and help my guests bear in mind that maybe they own farmland. Maybe they are farmland operators owners. Maybe they, this is kind of different because they're in the industry, but they aren't. So, uh, That's something that a lot of folks didn't realize. There's people that don't know anything about agriculture, Ryan. They think, wait a minute, you mean that there's land that these people are farming, but they don't own it? And because then some folks say, well, I heard that there's a bunch of farms being up for sale. And they think that that means that somebody put out a business. No, what that really means is land got put up for sale.
1: Interesting statistic here in Macon County. 72% of the land is owned by absentee landowners, people that own it, but don't farm it. We like to consider making county central illinois investment grade farmland it's it's been one of the best investments on the planet um, but a large percentage of people people we work for maybe in california texas east coast uh, we do work for people that own land um, that live here locally, but a lot of people are out of the area and moved on. Pass the mic on over to Seth Baker. We're going to hear from him and then we're going to come back to you and we're going to talk more about the
0: farm management. Basically, uh, dear listener, you're going to hear from, what I decided to do is have Seth talk more about the appraisal side of it and have Ryan talk more about the farm management side of it, so you'd understand that. And if you happen to be one of those listeners that, like I said, this is kind of new to you, there's a whole bunch of valuable assets out here that's known as farmland. It's known as rural real estate. And of course, like anything that is an asset, it needs valued, it needs managed, it needs to be handled like the asset that it is. So Seth is more on the valuation side of it. Seth Baker, welcome to the Business of Agriculture. Tell me about you.
2: Hi, Damien. Thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so I... Uh, recently started my own company about two years ago and uh, do farm management brokerage but really my focus has been more with the farmland appraisal side of that uh, industry and uh, just mainly do farmland appraisals a lot for lending purposes if someone wants to buy a farm they need to borrow some money or estate purposes figure out what the taxes are going to be those two are my biggest uh, ventures in that appraisal industry something that uh might be a little less known for appraisals and where I really like to uh, get into the business when I can is is working with families when there's needed, land needs divided. I can split farmland. I can make recommendations on how it should be split. I can be that independent third party to kind of save families from fighting amongst themselves and, and maybe my information will keep them at the dinner table for Thanksgiving. Well, I think
0: you're a little optimistic if you think you're going to keep families from fighting amongst themselves just because you gave them actual accurate data or professionally uh, surmised appraisal having just gone through this. But that's okay. Uh, Some of these folks out here in in radio land right now are saying, oh, God, like an appraisal would have kept me from fighting with my sister or my brother. So that's fine. When you do an appraisal, okay. now some of the folks on this listening are saying, well, wait a minute. I mean, I bought a house. It got appraised. But it's a little different when it comes to agricultural land. You've got things like the improvements, drainage, uh, drainage ditch, drainage tile. You've got things like grain handling facility. You've got things like infrastructure with putting in driveways and roads or buildings. Uh, lots of lots of moving parts right there. How many times do these folks that you work for argue with you?
2: Uh, I get a few arguments every now and again, but not not really as many as you might think. Um. You know, everybody thinks that all farms are the same and should have the same value if they're not from the area. Yeah, and, I just heard
0: a farm. I just heard a farm down the road sold for twice what you're saying mine's worth. Well, how far down the road? What's it look like? And also, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Go ahead and expand uh, on that.
2: Yeah, you'll certainly get some of that. Um, usually, a lot of times, my arguments will be if I'm doing an appraisal and someone's going to be buying based on that appraisal, uh, the person buying it, of course, thinks it's too high, and the person selling it thinks it's too low. So if they're both mad at me, I'm usually about right. So there's, there's an
0: before. old saying. I'm, I'm told from uh, some sort of a Lebanese trader that goes like, uh, what is one plus one? Am I buying or am I selling? <laughs> there's your answer. <laughs> yep, that's right. All right. Back to farm management. OK, there's all this asset. There's all this property that's out here. And I'm from Indiana. You're from Illinois. And it's a little different where we're from. You know, the, the person that's, uh, uh, you know, in, in Cape Cod right now and Cape Cod Cranberry Growers Association was a client of mine several years ago. I always think, okay, what's different? What they need to understand is this part of the world grows the crap out of soybeans and corn. This part of the world where we're sitting right now. Six foot of topsoil, prairie-type prairie, prairie type soils. This is as good as it gets. That's why, as you said, this is investment-grade property. And you manage this on the folks' behalf. So after uh, Seth goes in and does what he does, and then it gets sold, and then there's your buyer, or there's your investor. Then they say, I want to be in Texas running my business. I just was looking at this as an investment. Ryan, here you are. What do you do?
1: One of the biggest things that we do on behalf of our landowners is we execute their goals and objectives. What you want from a farmland ownership perspective might be different than uh, the next person. So it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all business in our world. Um, You know, it all goes back to goals and objectives. Most of the people we work for want a fair return. But not necessarily the highest return. If you know they have other things that you addressed in your uh, presentation to us today, it's not all about the almighty dollar. There's there's other things. Uh, asset I, preservation is. I want to keep this in the family for my kids. I want to leave it in better shape than I. You know we've got some people that are buying groceries off the farm income, and some that don't need the farm income, and everything in between. But it's a valuable asset in the family. And uh, here again, it's all about the owner's goals and objectives. When you do this management, you go in there and say, "Okay,
0: here's what we can do for you. Or again, it's going to be based on your objectives. And what is your uh, so let's say I'm down the road. I'm another farm manager and I want to get those assets under management. What's the pitch that Ryan Operly pitches that Damian Mason as your competitor
1: down the road doesn't? We try to tailor um, the farm management needs to the client. Um, you know, most people have a good relationship with their existing farm operator. And, and yeah, we've got competitors in the in the farm management business. Um, but a lot of people look at uh, larger farm operations as saying, what do you need a farm manager for? Isn't this as simple as cashing a check every year? There's a lot more that goes into it, um, you know, digging into a lot of the details and that's what we can really um, help facilitate. And at the end of the day, we are—we have a fiduciary responsibility to our clients. They pay us, and we don't want to insert ourselves and get in the middle of a good farm owner and a farm tenant relationship. Um, I, I've got a family that uh, I work for that—they—they um, they asked us that, hey, I want you to take care of this. My uh, nephews farm the land. And at first, I'm like, "Whoa! I don't know that I want to get in the middle of a yeah." So you're stepping right. You're stepping right in the middle of a, a family a relationship, and also a big pile of doo doo. Right, and so it, it's been a wonderful relationship, and we've got a good relationship with the farm operators. And our clients. Did they use you because they wanted to have a little distance
0: between maybe it was a little too close and they said, we want you, we want our nephews to be the farmers and operators on this, but we want someone in between in case uh, there is going to be somebody
1: getting hot. I want it to be between you. We like to say we want to help facilitate the the business side of it. Sometimes it's messy when you're doing business with family. When you hire a third party like us, uh, you know. We, we help facilitate market terms. Sometimes it's, you may or may not get market terms and family deals. And so I think what the objective was of this particular client was, hey, we're not gonna be around forever. We wanna we want to set this up for the next generation, but have it market-based. And at the end of the day, um, the farm operators have told the family, said, hey, I think you might've done us a favor by turning, turning that over to them, thinking, hey, we might be able to grow our operation. They'll give us consideration on future Farm rentals.
0: Yeah, that that that's the you're you're looking at it as uh, this is the right thing because you're building your next uh, business and and it maybe is uh, positive for everybody. Going over to Seth. So Seth, we just heard from Ryan that uh, there's the uh, the nephews and boy oh boy, there's there, there was a can of worms that could have gotten opened up. You probably deal this all the time. I'm gonna go to an estate thing. So everybody listening says, okay, I understand appraisal. Now, there's a lot more moving parts on a piece of agricultural land or or three pieces of agricultural land. One of them is wooded, one of them is a meadow, one of them is the prime farmland. One of them has a farmstead on it, an old house, and then it's grandma's house. And then, oh, my goodness, oh, I can't let see grandma. We used to go there, and she'd bake us cookies. I can't let. It's more worth more than $48,000. So there you are, and now you're caught between the dog and the fire hydrant. What's Seth do?
2: Uh, yeah, so you, you pretty much... Uh hit the nail on the head right there. A lot of uh, older farmhouses that get appraised at uh, what the market's telling me they're worth and and it's not what the the memories are telling the uh, heirs that, that that property should be worth.
0: And, uh, and let's just say you've got like a 120-acre chunk of ground that was grandma and grandpa's, and the home and, and an acre and a half of it are worth $63,000. And some of the outside heirs, because I bought a place that was like this, all they could think about was that house. I mean, they just loved that house. They remember eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches there with grandma and grandpa. And by golly, this house, was, it's just got so much memory. And it was worth $77,000 on a property that was worth 10 times that but when you talk about the rest of the farm ground you run into that all the time
2: no absolutely yeah we uh we see that quite a bit uh the other thing that we'll get run into sometimes as appraisers the uh, you know that's grandpa's farm grandpa told me that was the best farm in the state and, and it should be worth what i read in the the paper that top farm ground was going for so it won't always be the case but uh i think the biggest value for having an appraiser a uh, professional appraiser is not only am I going to give you the value of what the market says that's worth, but but my report's going to explain why. It's going to show you some of the other sales in the area and really give a breakdown to exactly wh- help help those owners understand why that value is what it is
0: so you pull the comps. there's three methods of an appraisal right there's three three methods of pulling a value you correct. can do the comps and, and and which means the comparables the one that was down the road and again if it's three miles down the road but it's a completely different style of property then it's almost not really a comp so tell me about pulling comps and also tell me about the other two methods of valuation
2: sure so yeah the typically the best way to appraise would be to use comparable sales and and as an appraiser you've got to decide what what is what would be comparable is it is it the farm down the road that's completely different you you know has timber or something or or is the one 15 miles away that is almost the same is that going to work better so you get spend a lot of time with that um uh, figuring out which ones you're going to use so and, the two and,
0: methods besides comparables if i need to pull a value
2: right so the other two methods are uh, sales or excuse me the uh income approach, so I'm going to take the income that that property can produce, I'm going to take a look at the market, what kind of return the market wants, uh, if they're going to be an investor and then and use that uh, rate to determine what the value is. So this would be
0: like saying, this will rent for $10,000. If you want a 5% return on your money, then you run the money and you do that. And that's a cap rate, so to speak.
2: Cap rate, exactly right. So you use that cap rate. So to, our,
0: to our non-real estate investing listener right now, just give them the, the ABCs of cap rate and all that. You're just basically sitting down saying, either this is what it's worth or this is what the market wants for a return. Go ahead.
2: Right. So if uh, if you're an investor and you say, I want 5% return and we know the farm can make $250 an acre, we can do that math real quick and decide what it is worth to that investor. And it's, it's just simple math and, and you... You go out and figure out what the market return is to kind of help you determine what the value of that property is. Com- comparables, comparable sales, income approach, third method. Is the cost approach. And the cost approach is it, use more for buildings, but you can use it uh, with farm land. You can break down your timber land versus your tillable land, pasture, CRP. Uh, but basically the cost approach, you take uh, what the cost of that, Different type of land is, and you break it down, and you, you you take the acres and times the price of that part of it, and add it all together. Uh, the the that comes more for buildings is what be more traditionally used for, yeah. And, and green, that green bins and improvements right, potentially. So, so in that case, you're taking the what would what would it cost me to build a house, and then. Uh, then we're going to figure out what the depreciation is of the house that sits there that would be similar.
0: And that's why a lot of these folks are going to need to realize they better go with comparables because if you're taking something that's depreciated over 75 or 125 years, it's going to get down to where it's not worth much. All right, passing the microphone over to my friend Ryan. By the way, if you somehow dropped your cup of coffee and you said, wait a minute, what's going on here on this Business of Agriculture episode? Well, Damien... What are we doing today? We're talking to uh, Ryan and Seth, and they are with the Illinois Society of Professional Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers. And also we're uh, getting to the point where it's time for a commercial. And you're saying commercial. Wait a minute, Damien Are you selling out? Yes, of course, Sam. I remind you that. I make a living getting on stage and talking, just like I talk to these people with this professional association today. I would like to come and talk to your association. So if you are a member of a professional association, organization, or corporation, please consider bringing me to your next meeting. We'll make it worth your while. All right, Ryan. I owned my first chunk of farm real estate. and I bought it in the year 2000. Next to it, contiguous to it, was about 450 tillable acres, which is 600 total acres, and it was under professional management. And I do remember a little bit of the, um, shall we say... Uh, neighborhood talk you know the folks that were there they didn't like this idea somebody was making money on that why would you need a professional farm manager i know what i'm doing i've been farming my whole life Why that ryan guy he doesn't know as much about farming as i do
1: respond a lot of times if we can't help solve a problem we're the first to get out of the way so we, we like to think of ourselves in the industry as being problem solvers or adding value of some sort I think there was also a little bit of sour grapes that that particular person that maybe said that to me, if there was such a person,
0: was of the opinion that uh, that there was somebody that was uh, giving influence that they wanted to be influencing, and sometimes that's your real role. You are being the conduit that's also the insulation, that's also the firewall, that's also the advisor. Tell me about some of those things.
1: Well, a lot of times you can get into a new situation and you got to go in with caution and, and here again understand the facts and the background and the read the situation but sometimes when, when you're a, a farm manager or a new guy on the scene you got to be careful because there, there's some history and there's a reason why somebody reached out to you. Yeah, they wanted to fire the existing tenant, and they wanted you to be the heavy? What What was the—did you know, we get called in to be the Terminator or make the least— You know, a lot of times, if, if things are going well, you may or may not need a farm manager. We like to think we're either needed when times are so good or when there's when there's problems out there, and we get called in to solve problems. That's exactly what I was going to go with, is what problems do you solve, and that's exactly right. Sometimes you're the heavy, sometimes
0: you're the Terminator. Sometimes you are truly handling something that they don't know what to do. I mean, you've got, uh, you've got maybe some heirs that come in. Something and Seth has done his job of getting the whole appraisal, and then they did all their taxes, and they said, "Well, we don't want to sell. but well, we are in out of state. What do we do?" And then that's where you step in.
1: And, and a lot of times, what we get called in for is like on the uh, on the example of the getting put into a family situation. That was a fixed uh, multi-year lease, fixed cash rent lease, multi-year, and what what happens over time is multi-year leases are fine but they're not very common in agriculture around here we're in a dynamic industry things change corn goes to $7 corn goes back to 350 so it's all about that gross income in at the end of the day in our business the lease on the farm should equitably carve up gross income the farmer should get rewarded for bringing labor And the farming farming practices. And the landowner should get compensated for um, owning that market-based asset. So you help them make money and you take take care of their headache, then you're compensated. How are you compensated? Typically, our industry works on a percentage of the gross income. It's America. We all run our businesses differently. But I think it's safe to say in our industry, uh, farm farm managers generally work on a percentage of the gross income.
0: What about you, uh, Seth? So how are you compensated? If you go out and, okay, there, there's going to be an appraisal. Now, do you actually, let's say there's going to be an auction, because in our part of the world, a lot of real estate, agricultural real estate, sells at auction. Are you the person that does that, or you just bring in some person to do the auction? Tell me how that works.
2: Uh, yeah, for appraisals, so I'll bid out each project, so I'll, it'll be a flat fee that, that the uh, customer will know ahead of time. Um, and, and yeah, uh, and you do
0: that based on how much work is going to be, how big the acreage is, how many, I mean, buildings you've got to go and kick the bricks on, that kind of thing.
2: Right. That's yeah. I'll take a look at the property, uh, just determine how much time I think that's going to take uh, from my experience. And then, now you and can and
0: admit that since it's just me and Ryan sitting here on the Business of Agriculture and our thousand or so listeners, you just make this stuff up, right? I mean, you just pull this, you just pull this <laughs> out of your, you, know, you just like you just reach down and just like pull out a number out of a hat, right?
2: Only when I really have to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I actually uh, try not to do that, of course. Uh, the state, I am licensed with the state of Illinois, so they frown upon that and uh, have some rules in place that, that really don't uh, look too kindly on that. So uh, I certainly try to, to get my best shot at, at the true market value. All
0: right, well, we just talked about uh, leases over here with uh, Ryan, and if you are in appraising something and there's a lease on it, does that make it worth more money, worth less money? It depends on the lease. Tell me how that works.
2: So, yeah, that... Uh, Depends on the lease, and it also depends on who your likely buyers are. If it's an investor and it's a strong lease and maybe it's a couple years of good return, it can help. What do we talk about when Ryan
0: said that multi-year leases are not very common, but sometimes these relationships last for years and years and years. So we have the handshake that we're going to be in business for a long time, but the actual return is going to be one year, two year? What's a normal number?
2: Uh, Yeah, normal number would be one year. And most of my appraisals will assume a one-year lease unless I'm told otherwise. Um, you can. So do you sit down and do paperwork on that every year, Ryan?
1: Absolutely. Uh, all of our leases are in writing. You know, there's there's and, a lot of stuff over time that has been just a handshake. But and the dollar and the dollar amount or the terms change every year or can? Uh, most of the stuff around here that we manage is on, is on a flexible cash rent lease. Or some type of participation, but the standard cash rent is is common, but with all the changing dynamics, a lot of stuff has moved to a flexible cash rent lease, which is essentially a uh, base rent and then a bonus based on um, yields, prices, all the different things that change. And so uh, most farmers don't mind paying you a bonus. Because uh, that means they made money. Absolutely, but if you try to get that out of them up front – Risk is a four-letter word in agriculture. Yeah, so they,
0: they like they're willing to pay they're willing to pay the bonus, but after the fact, when they've actually when the crop's been harvested. All right, going over to Seth. We talked before we started recording. I said you got any stories of uh, situations that blew up? Any situations that just you know, give me some war stories, some horror stories? Give me some stories.
2: <laughs> yeah, so uh, farm managers and rural prisoners kind of known for sitting around telling their war stories, uh, especially after maybe a beer or two. Uh, but, uh, yeah, some from an appraisal side. Well, uh, right
0: now my listeners are saying, all right, let's bust them open. All right, come on. Yeah, All right, let's give go. Me, give me a story. What's going on? Like maybe one where just absolutely you walked away and thought, man, that looks like a mess. Or you're saying, boy, I sure prevented a mess.
2: Yeah, so you will. Uh, uh, one, I hadn't happened not too long ago, and hopefully they're not listening and can figure out who I'm talking about. But it was a family situation where. Uh, they kind of understood what the split of the farm was going to be but didn't really agree on who the executor of the estate was and whose mom's favorite was and uh, was pretty sure that uh, one of the siblings was taking advantage of the other two and and so I had to gotten involved to appraise the property as a whole for the estate and then uh, after that got calls from the other siblings wanting their portion of that appraised and and some infighting ensued and some disagreements and and some different things and it took I don't even want to guess how many phone calls that took between family members. And, and this was over Thanksgiving, and and they told me they weren't getting together for Thanksgiving this Christmas. or But uh, I told them maybe by Christmas we can get this all figured out and they can get back together. Did it end up being resolved? So I did. Uh, my professional assistants, I believe, did help the situation. They got to a point where they felt like they all had the information uh, on the value to at least understand what was happening what was their parents goal and uh I do. Th- I do think that did resolve things. There was some things said uh, that maybe will uh, take a little time to heal. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that's the nature
0: of the farm thing. When my mother died, or right read about that time when she was dying, and the farm I was raised on was nothing shiny. Uh, I had a family member tell me that they had read in the Wall Street Journal, which I'm not even sure if they if they did, but someone told them uh, there's a the, they read that the farmland is worth ten thousand dollars an acre, and and they said, is that what Grandma's place is worth? Meaning my mom's? And I about dropped my beer. In fact, I wouldn't. I didn't because I, I tried not to ever drop my beer, but. Uh, I almost did on that one because I said, uh, uh, that's, that's about, um, it's about three to four times, what worth. three times probably. So then you get people arguing with you, who are you to value this?
2: Right. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, once somebody has an idea in their head, what something's worth, it doesn't matter, uh, uh, what you tell them as a professional they are they already know what it's worth and that's uh, what they're going to believe and and so you do run into that and that that's a little bit of this situation is is one of the three of the siblings kind of thought they knew what it was worth and took a while to convince them otherwise but we did get there i i think so
0: ryan give me a war story give me a story that's a you know maybe it ends up good or it ends up bad tell me what happened
1: you know, it, it's such a rewarding career. Uh, all the different people, diverse people you work for, there's so many stories it's hard to uh, come up with all of them. But uh, I, I guess I would focus on the different, diversity of the people we get to work with and sometimes it you know it it, it's a wonderful relationship and you might get involved in stuff that's like sometimes I remind myself it's like aren't we just farm managers where you get involved in a family and you work for them for 20 years on a professional level but it it leads into other stuff and it's like wait a second aren't we just the farm manager here and it just goes to tell you uh in agriculture you know relationships are strong uh we went out to a memorial service uh for a, a client that passed away and out uh, out in arizona and thought we were just gonna show up and well hey glad you guys came out but we need you to be the pallbearers we're gonna uh, Barry, Uncle Jim, right here at the ranch, and and uh, so we thought we were just coming to a, a service, and they said meet us out at the ranch. We're going to open the gate and bring him, lay Uncle Jim to rest on the on the on the ranch. Well, that's that's a good story. It means you have a positive relationship with them, and uh, hopefully, it continues on after you laid Jim to rest. And about three weeks ago, got a phone call though on on one that was interesting, and um, the people say, "Hey, we we need you to." just be on the lookout they may they may call you there's a uh, family member passed away and everybody's going to start, you know, sorting through things. I said, well, has the group met? Well, they officially can't talk right now because there's a restraining order amongst the two co-executors. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you get into all kinds of stuff. And that that's an example of one that uh, you, you don't know what's out in front of you.
0: All right. That that's, that's, I can see it. And everybody listening here that's been involved in family farm relationships knows exactly that that could be that way. Uh, about your business. Uh, Zillowization that's that's the word i'm ter- I'm turning it up here all right what's gonna happen I mean we've got technology in one of your sessions they talked about technology um I look at Zillow I look at my Arizona house and look at Zillow does Zillow come to agricultural real estate Seth and yeah. maybe not Zillow per se it could be sure. farm Zillow
2: so yeah there there is a company right now trying to work on that and, and uh Acre Value is the name of that company, and, and they have, you can go to their website and look up, uh, click on your farm, and it'll tell you what their logarithmic equation says it's worth. I'm not sure how that all works. And, and and then we've looked at that, and it can be accurate or it can be not so accurate. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's coming. And while it's not perfected yet, like Zillow, I think has had some issues as well as trying to get those values right, uh, it'd be silly as me as a professional to say well we're going to go backwards with technology we're just going to keep going and that technology will get better Uh, as as a professional appraiser i have some comfort level knowing that it's pretty difficult to appraise a farm Uh, you really have to take a look at it you've got to know the local the local community the the players there's not as many buyers and sellers in certain areas than others uh, you, there might be a guy that's buying ground left and right, but he won't go north of some river or north of the highway. You never know what that might be if you're not on the ground and know, okay, he won't buy that one because it's two miles farther away than he's willing to
0: yeah. Go. It, it, within three miles doesn't necessarily mean that we're talking apples to apples. These things change. Weather, geography, big players, competitive marketplace, soil type, glaciation. You, know, you can go on and on and on about that. What is going to matter looking forward? Interest rates. What's it going to do?
2: I think interest rates will have to go up. They started to, to creep up already, and and uh, so the question really is when does that start to affect farmland values? And and it probably should. And and we don't know exactly when that will be. It, it there's two two fold. Obviously, you're going to borrow money to buy a farm. Most people don't have that kind of money that just lying around, and uh, you have to borrow that money. So how what's the rate? And then of course the probably the more important thing that that maybe people don't realize is is if the interest rates go up there's competition for that money if i can get three percent putting it in the bank at us in a cd well that's better than the two and a half percent buying a farm with all the expense of, of buying that farm. Well,
0: that's the thing. I've actually predicted we're going to see about I think there's 10% of give in this marketplace, meaning the plain states and in in the Midwest where we're from. I think that there's 10% of give yet in the ag land real estate and it's not just because of interest rates on the borrowed side. It's actually return on cash for people that say, I've got half a million dollars to put into uh, real estate investment. So I think there's 10% of give. Is there 10% of downside yet on the ag real estate?
2: I think there is ten percent. That, that's what I've been telling some people that ask me. It's it's held surprisingly strong. It really has is not twenty percent. Is there 20, 20%? twenty? Twenty would be. I don't think there's twenty. But I, okay, I, we've, we've already come down. What twenty five? We've we've come down twenty to twenty five percent already. And there are. I have talked to a lot of people interested in buying, and they have a number that's that's less than ten percent down that they're going to jump in. And there's a lot of those people just waiting. They're waiting until we see another ten yeah. percent
0: drop. Okay, Ryan. What do you – you give me a prediction. Interest rates, uh, what's it going to do on agriculture? Give me some numbers. Give yeah, me some ideas. Give me some thoughts.
1: So I, I think we've uh, – like you guys just discussed, we've, we've seen the market settle back in here. And if you look back over a, a long slice of time – Uh, In the last 40 years, land values have only backed up, what, Seth, a couple, two, three times. You know, there there was a fair amount of stress in the 80s, um, you know, and we peaked out in year-end 2012, and we've settled back about 20%. And like Seth said, I think there's a lot of people in the marketplace, investors, not just uh, local investors, farmland buyers but there's pension and investment funds that are are getting more and more active ready to buy the break so Longer term, we're cautiously optimistic. We, the water's just fine. Come on in.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that, we're all kind of in agreement here. I guess if we see a 20% meltdown, I'll be tremendously surprised. 10% of give, actually, from the numbers we are, isn't really all that much, especially if you've got a long-term view. And I agree with both of you that there's plenty of money sitting around. But we've been telling ourselves a story for a while. What if other asset classes start really, really clipping along? Pension money can go anywhere.
1: Money is very, uh, shall we say, mobile. Fluid. <laughs> And one of the other things we're seeing in the marketplace is it's like politics. Everything's local. You you might uh, see a, a farm that's 140 PI in one county bring 7,500. Wait and, a minute. And,
0: PI? You better, get, you better tell somebody what that means. It's a listening.
1: productivity index. So, you know, you look at the uh, weighted average productivity index of each soil type. And so markets are all local. You, you look at, um, you know, a good farm in Macon County uh, that, might bring in the low nines and go to Western Illinois or another hot neighborhood where you got uh, well-funded families and uh, saying, I'm going to go to that thing and come home with a deed. And they may push it to twelve, five or thirteen on a very similar quality soil. So,
0: dear listener, he's he's saying high nines, low nines means nine thousand to ten thousand dollars per acre, and then he just said twelve to thirteen thousand dollars an acre. And some of you are probably just dropping your you're just dropping your coffee, saying what in the world? I'm out here and I'm out here in western Kansas where like we haven't had, we haven't seen a drop of rain for uh, six months. Yes, they do have Illinois land that sells for twelve thousand dollars an acre still today in 2019. Uh, Speaking of which, let's bring it back to Seth, and then you give me your closing thoughts. Money, numbers, et cetera. Closing thoughts. We were talking about 10%. What else do you see? Last thought.
2: Uh, Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think 10% would be another, uh, would be my thought on on where we could go with farmland values. Uh, Other things that that coming down the road that you're starting to see, uh, especially around here, non-GMO and organic stuff has been pretty resisted by, by farmers uh, obviously, it make GMOs make life easy for the farmer. You can get the crop in and, and produce big yields. Um, I think we're starting to see these producers realize that uh, you know, why fight this? They're paying a premium. Let's provide them with what they want. Uh, so we'll, I think we'll see an increase in in some organic. Uh, production or even non-gmo like
0: there are fields with not too far from me that while they are not organic they also are not gmo and there is an important distinction there that if somebody doesn't understand non-gmo doesn't mean it's organic it means it's not genetically engineered seed
2: right right and we're seeing you know we've seen a couple or- and sometimes
0: those fetch a premium right
2: they do, especially we've seen some organic farms because it takes about three years to take a farm from traditional farming practices to organic. Uh, but once you get it there, we've seen a premium of, of up to a thousand dollars per acre. So if you can if you can find a way to take your farm to organic and make some money on the three years while you're getting it there, uh, it's certainly worth uh, looking at that in the long term. And I think we'll see some more of that as. You know, I think we're going to divide into your ultra-large farmers that just produce commodities, and that's it. But the, uh, the other guys are going to have to get more of a niche market and get smaller and more concentrated and really value-added products. Uh, that's
1: like what I talked about in my presentation today. I, th- okay, I think Ryan. I heard that
2: sometime today.
1: All right, Ryan, closing thoughts. Yeah, keep in mind what I said earlier. We're in the business of executing owner's goals and objectives. So as generations uh, move further and further away from production agriculture but still own the land as an investment, you've really um, brought a lot of that stuff to our attention today in in your presentation, but it really is resonating. We need to pay attention to our uh, owner's goals and objectives. And, you know, a lot of people that live out on the coast and run in different circles than we do here in flyover country is, uh, you know, D- different, uh, different forces on their thought process. Yeah, they they are. They, while while we
0: might sit here in in the Midwest and say, well, they're only gonna care about getting the money. Maybe that was that was a case. Of, it was always the gripe about heirs of a certain time where they were absentee and they just wanted the money. I see it more and more being about preserving Grandma's place, or I want there to be a certain type of agriculture that happens here. I want to be involved in hemp production because I'm out here working for a tech company in Silicon Valley and I don't even care about the money. I want my Grandma's farm in Illinois to grow grow hemp i mean that could be a reality are you prepared anything and everything we're, we're ready and that's why you're here at this conference all right i really appreciate seth baker and ryan Operley have been here with me they are farm managers and rural appraisers they are members of the illinois society of professional farm managers and rural appraisers that's right uh, i'm damian mason i really appreciate you kicking in for this episode thanks for being here guys appreciate you having us yeah thank you very much all right till next time this is the business of agriculture.